0: As I mentioned in my little demo of the app, the first point that I want to make is I'm a mess and you're a mess. Now, uh, I don't know if you remember years ago, there was a book written called I'm OK and you're OK. And we've all got to make out like we're OK and it's all good, isn't it? And and sometimes, you know, we can can think that coming to church and being religious is all about being OK. Having our lives together, having it all sorted out. And sometimes religious folk can uh, really perpetuate that understanding that it's all about being okay. And uh, you come here into a, a meeting like this, and for an hour and a half, maybe, you know what? You can maybe convince yourself and others around you that, in fact, I'm okay and you're okay. Maybe you can, you know. You've you've worked hard to, you know, get all dressed up and made up and polish the outside and look good for this morning, and that's great, and I'm so glad you have. But we can easily create the idea that I'm okay and you're okay, and we can lose the reality that, in fact, you know what? We really are a mess. And um, one way to think about this, I don't know if you've ever thought about it like this, one way to think about it is to think that um, there is just something In us that means we have an ineluctable tendency to stuff stuff up, to mess things up. There's something in us that means we are capable of really making a mess out of anything, like every relationship. You you start off like you, you meet someone new, and maybe it's a romantic relationship, and it's all wonderful and brilliant, and you idolize them, and they idolize you, and you've got all these phenomenal intentions, and it doesn't take long (laughs) before you criticize them and they criticize you and you disappoint them and they disappoint you. uh, Kids, man, those of us who are parents, it doesn't take much to um, poke the raw spot of parental guilt. Because if we reflect for a moment, we know how we've messed up as parents. I mean, not, maybe it's just me. and you know, we've, We have this wonderful parents group before church that runs the sort of quarter to eight to quarter to ten for young families. And um, sometimes, like this morning, it feels to me just an opportunity for me to talk about all the ways in which I have failed. <laughs> so that others can learn. We mess up our kids. We mess up our lives. You start a new job and you go, yeah, this is a fantastic. I'm not going to make all the mistakes I made at the last job I was in. How long does that last? We mess stuff up all the time. So um, uh, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Um, one, w- the other way to show that we, we really are a mess and that the mess is very deep um, is that the there is a relentless drive to always fix stuff up and get better. We're never enough. We're never enough, are we? That's sort of the flip side of this, that uh, if you stop and think about it for a moment, the fact that you and I are a mess is is shown by the fact that people are always, we are are incredibly susceptible to this message of not being enough. Um, So you're not what? You're not skinny enough, you're not rich enough, you're not popular enough, you're not smart enough, you're, you're not energetic enough, you don't have enough time, uh, you know, you're not relaxed enough, you're not happy enough, you're not, um, your, superannuation, your, your retirement is not well-funded enough, like you just, we're never enough, there's never enough, there's this crushing burden to be enough, and you're never enough because the problem is too deep. Uh, We really are a mess. So then the question is, what do we do with that? Right? How do we address that? Uh, How do we address that sense of not being enough? How do we address that sense that we mess things up? Um, How are we to live in the light of it? And uh, there's really only two options. And uh, I mentioned this in the uh, and you can, if you're looking along in the notes, option one is this, and that is um, uh, outside in living. So you go, okay, I'm a mess. I can fix it. Can't I? I can fix, I can change my behavior. I can uh, change what I eat. I can change what I read. I can change what I think. I can change what I do. I can improve myself. I can I can change me from the outside in. And maybe if I'm get tired of changing me, uh, you know what might happen is um, I might uh, have to start changing you. <laughs> Because if I, can't, if I can't fix the mess up in my life from outside in living, well, maybe I can fix up the mess in you by changing you. So we've got a great example of this um, in our Bible reading, the first few verses. And I'm going to ask Rolf uh, if you just want to read Mark chapter 7 and verses 1 through to 4. That would be wonderful. Thanks, Rolf.
1: The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, gathered around Jesus, and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. It's lovely. Thank you. Okay, so what's going on there? Ancient
0: story, historical biography of Jesus, recounting how Jesus uh, was moving around in uh, first century Israel. And there were a bunch of religious leaders, Jewish leaders, who were practicing outside in living. So they go, I'm a mess. You're a mess. We've really stuffed up as a people. We're disconnected from God. They'd they'd experienced enormous tragedy in their lives, nationally and personally. So uh, they had been inhabitants in the promised land, and as a result of the mess they'd made of their relationship with God and relationship with each other, God had had, uh, taken them out of the land into exile. They'd, They'd been removed from the promised land, gone into exile. It had been an unimaginable national tragedy. So they'd, they'd come back into the land and now they'd said, you know what, we're such a mess. The risk of messing up is so high we, and the potential for disaster of, of being thrown out of the land and losing everything that matters to us is so high, what we've got to do now is we have to control our environment we have to make sure that there's not a sl- the slightest chance of a slip-up. And so that's what they're doing. They go, okay, we've got, to, we've got to clean ourselves up from the outside in. And so they, beca- they became, these Pharisees, absolutely obsessed with outside in living with controlling what they did with the externals so they didn't eat unless they gave their hands a ceremonial washing according to the elders of the, the traditions of the elders and they observed many other traditions many many other traditions such as the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles and because this dear friends is what happens with outside in living is you inevitably have to expand with more and more rules and traditions, and the scope of your control and your effort has to grow bigger and bigger because you never quite fix the mess. So you can see that in our day and age, can't you? You start off recycling your plastics... And you end up gluing yourself to the road to avoid climate extinction. Right? That's the So you say, now, this is not a political comment. This is just an s- observation on, on the dynamics of outside-in living. So what's going on with our uh, environmental movement? Well, you go, we're a mess. We're messing up the world. We're, we're creating all kinds of havoc and chaos. So we'll develop a tradition of separating out our plastics and our cardboards, our, you know, and you do all of that, and you, and you do that, and that's all good. But what you discover is recycling doesn't save the planet. So then you, you try the next thing, and, then, and, you, and you, end up outside, you end up doubling down on the traditions and the things that are acceptable, and, and none of it really fixes up the mess, and then you end up blocking off capital cities and gluing yourself down and going slightly nuts. All good, right? Uh, I'll give you another example. Uh, contemporary example. Outside in living, Right? We all struggle in our culture with uh, the way, with with how we deal with difference, with excluding and marginalising people who are different. And for many years, um, our our culture has been, you know, we've really treated people who are same-sex attracted, LGBTI people, very, very badly. So um, one of the things that's been a, a really good movement since the Second World War is the, d- the development in the, of, of gay rights, LGBTI rights. They so say, no, no, your, your, your sexual orientation and behavior does not, should not mean you are treated as less of a person and excluded and marginalized from our society. And you go, that's really, really good. Okay, it's great, big fan. of uh, of treating everyone absolutely equally to address the problem of exclusion and marginalization and oppression of, uh, of minority groups, right? But you know what we've discovered? That outside-in living doesn't actually solve the mess of our society and the way we mistreat each other and, and how we treat people who are different. So, so what we do is we, we develop more and more rules and traditions until in the end what you end up with was, well, you're a five-year-old kid who feels uncomfortable with your developing body. So, oh, you're obviously in the wrong body, so you can choose at a whim to define who you are irrespective of your, your chromosomal and your genetic and your biological givenness and you can just choose because and now the rule and the tradition is no one can ever say what's right or wrong so you go outside in living address the issue of marginalization and oppression let's come up with some rules to address that that's good that's good that's good that's good but none of it really fixes the underlying mess and then you end up in a crazy place because it doesn't work outside in living because the problem is in too deep I mean, if you think I'm just having a crack at a particular political position, I could do this. This this analysis works um, for positions on the right. You could look at the rise of um, fascism in response to this. Uh, It's exactly the same progression. Well, uh, uh, you know, the the crazy proliferation of individualism and minority groups has gone too far, so we need a strong government to, to control the disparate communities that we have to keep order in society. Order's a good thing. You go, yeah, order's a really good thing. You go, our security is threatened by terrorism, so we need increased surveillance. So you go, yeah, that's a good thing. I don't want to get blown up when I go into town hall I like the idea that we control our borders. That's a good thing. But what you discover is a strong central government outside in living doesn't in the end address the real mess in our world. So what happens from the right or as a movement towards fascism, you just end up doubling down more and more rules, more and more extension of control of the government, more and more centralization until eventually you have a Hitler and a Mussolini and a contemporary China. And, uh, and there you have it. That's the dynamic Because outside in living doesn't actually fix the mess. In fact, Rolf, could you just read verse 5 for us? This is what tends to happen with outside in living when it doesn't work.
1: So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? instead of eating their food with defiled hands. So uh, when I live from the outside
0: in, I pick whatever thing I'm trying to do to fix the mess and I start to control you. I want to insist that you have to behave in exactly the same way as me. It's the logic of it, right? That's what the Pharisees are doing. So I... I I insist that you have to. You have to share the the same view on uh, on a social constructivist view of gender. (laughs) You have to share my same view that anyone, we're free to determine, identify our own particular preference irrespective of biology you you have to share that view you have to share the view that any speaking out against the government is a sign of insurrection and poses a great threat to our society so you can't allow d- free discourse and a free press and dissent and pluralism you you can't you have to all agree we we control each other as an inevitable outworking of outside in living and we see that all the time. Uh, I'll, here's, a, here's, a, here's how it works in my life, very personally. I love teaching people and influencing people. So I'll discover something that works for me, like um, low carb, high fat eating. Just to pick an example, right? So very low carbs, high fat. I think it's the way to go. Read the science, get it. I'm convinced. I think if everybody ate that way, it would solve most of the problems in the world. (laughs) And so I can start to control you. Well, you know, why don't you eat the way I eat? If everybody just ate the way I ate, actually we certainly would address the diabetes epidemic in this country, and it would actually fix a lot of problems, but that's beside the point. (laughs) I can't help myself. You see, and, and you go, no, no, no. There's... In fact, the science isn't as clear, and no matter what we eat, we're still a mess. And I've still got to love people. I've had friends who've, partic- who've, who've, who've got into diets and ways of eating like this, who become an absolute pain in the neck because they won't eat this and they won't eat that. And you go out, you know, you invite them around and they're not going to eat your, you know, your veggies or whatever. And yeah, no, no, put the relationships ahead of the food, and it'll all be. Don't try and control others. But we all do it. They did it. That's what happens. We do it at a grand social level. By the way, that's why we are such an uncivil society at the moment. We can't actually deal with difference and division and allow debate and, and diversity in our communities because we're, we're actually caught up into this religious impulse of outside-in living. If I can only control the outside, then I can alleviate and fix up the mess on the inside. and It never works. It actually just makes it worse. It's oppressive. Um, so uh, that's that then it, if, if the self uh, if the um, control of others is not bad enough the next thing that outside in living does we see in verses 6 through 13 which Rolf will read for us in a moment and it's going to come up on the screen here
1: he replied Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites as it is written These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Fantastic. Thank you. So the one problem with
0: outside-in living is we control others. Uh, The second problem with this way of living is it doesn't take long for it to become uh, self-serving hypocrisy. That's an H, by the way. It's just you become a hypocrite when you try and live from the outside in, don't you? Uh, and that was the problem with the Pharisees. So, so they um, uh, they used their religious traditions, like this little thing about Corban, right? So this is how it worked. And um, there was this massive, massive uh, teaching or, or, or drive in uh, the first century Judaism to honor your parents, like you had to look after your parents, right? Incredibly important, but of course. Um, looking after your parents is expensive, right? Like it costs a lot of money. And, uh, and we all love money. The Pharisees love money. So they go, hmm, i got a problem here. i got to look, look after my elderly parents. And that's going to make me poor. So I don't want to do that. So I'll find a religious way to get around looking after my parents. Ah, here's what I'll do. I'll say all my money is devoted to God. I declare it to be Corbyn. So now my money is devoted to God, so I now don't have to use it to look after my parents in their old age. I can use it for myself. Isn't that cool? And you go, man, that is just extraordinary hypocrisy, isn't it? Like, the really important thing you should do, look after your parents, you find a religious outside-in way around that so you can still puff yourself up and go, well, I'm super religious, I've dedicated all my money to God, so I don't have to look after my parents. And Jesus absolutely gets stuck into these guys and goes, this is terrible, and you do many things like this. Now, uh how many of you have ever thought that the church is full of hypocrites? <laughs> okay, those of you who are visiting, you're too polite to stick your hands up. <laughs> uh, you re- like religion breeds hypocrisy. Religion breeds hypocrisy because religion is outside-in living. It's just a particular category of outside-in living. Outside-in living breeds hypocrisy. And you see it everywhere, the, the, the outside-in climate change activists who fly their private jets to go and talk about climate change. I, I, and I, I just say that because, you know what, that's me. I, I, I love outside-in living until it affects me. I want to make the world a better place as long as it doesn't affect me. <laughs> Jesus, his strongest words are addressed to the religious hypocrites. And that is where we all end up when we try to live from the outside in. That's me when I'm on my low-carb, high-fat diet and I eat chocolate while lecturing and hectoring people on the benefits of no sugar. But I love chocolate and I like the dopamine rush that I get from eating chocolate. And I'm a hypocrite because I'm a mess and you're a mess, and we're all a mess. So what are we going to do? Rolf, uh, if you could read from verse 14 to 23. Thank you. That would be great. Jesus has a solution.
1: Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this... Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, "What comes out of a person, it is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come: sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside" And defile a person beautiful so Jesus answer
0: uh, to inside uh, to outside in living is very simply inside out living and what that means is Jesus says you know what the real problem is right here in our hearts and if you want to change if you want to fix the mess in the world don 't try and do it from the outside in that 'll just lead to control, hypocrisy, burnout, exhaustion, misery won 't fix anything what you 've got to do is work from the inside out you've got to change your heart 've got to change what drives you you 've got to change your interior motivation that 's the whole point that 's the radical radical Uh, unpreviously unheard of unknown teaching of jesus this is extraordinary he says like uh, you know listen to me nothing outside a person can defile them than going into them rather it's what comes out of a person that defiles you what causes the mess in the world the mess in the world is caused by what comes out of our hearts right right it's what comes out of our hearts. Our biggest problem is that we need a new heart. It is out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Look at this, right? Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, and that. that's a pretty all-encompassing list of the mess of our world. And Jesus says, "You want to fix the mess of the world? Change the hearts of every human being, so that out of our imagine." it's because it's out of our hearts that all this stuff comes you know we obsess about controlling our behavior from the outside in controlling people's sexual behavior controlling what they do with their money controlling how they talk about other people controlling all kinds of things their folly we want to educate people from the outside in so they're never unwise and stupid. They're now brilliantly educated. And Jesus says, none of that will work. You've got to change the heart because all that stuff comes from inside. Do you see, do you see that if you believe this to be true, then you have an answer to the mess of the world that doesn't involve control or hypocrisy. Because my job is never to control you. My job is to ask God to give me a new heart. And to go to work on what's in here. And, and you have to go to work what's in there for you, right? I can't control you. Uh, it's also a way of fixing up the mess without becoming a hypocrite. Because you know what? As long as I'm asking God to give me a new heart, I'm never pretending I'm anything but a mess. (laughs) I'm acknowledging that I need a new heart, that I'm fundamentally flawed. And so I'm not a hypocrite. I know that I'm a mess. I have to pretend. The book of Proverbs says this, puts it so well. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it guard your heart. What, what is Christianity about? Our core message is this. Outside in living doesn't work, doesn't fix the mess. Inside out living is the only way to fix the world and fix your life and fix our mess. And God has made that possible. He says, I'll give you a new heart. I'll change you from the inside. I'll forgive you for all the damage you've done. And I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll put a new heart in you. That's it. It's really simple. And then we learn from Jesus how to live with his new heart. That's it. And, and we never try and control people. And we don't become hypocrites. We just say, give me a new heart. Give you a new heart. Now, Jesus, show me how to live the way you want me to live. And just imagine for a moment... Just imagine if everybody in the world had the heart of Jesus. Right? Like, just what if everybody had the heart of Jesus in the world? Well, there'd be what? There would be no sexual immorality, right? So, no relationship breakdown, no um, rape, no human sex trafficking. Um, No abusive uh, relationships in the workplace, no sexual harassment, no pornography. Uh, Just think about that. Imagine if everyone had the heart of Jesus, there'd be no theft. You'd never have to lock your house. Like you wouldn't need passwords. Imagine that. Because no one would ever steal your identity or your money you'd just be like man you go there it is i don't need a password manager imagine what how good the world would be if you didn't need passwords because there'd be no theft there'd be no adultery um which is there'd be no profound betrayal of the most intimate relationships we have we'd never let each other down there'd be no greed That's what had happened. There'd be no malice. There'd be no meanness. Oh, my goodness. Imagine a world where there was no malice, where there was no meanness. Because, oh, goodness, aren't we mean to each other? And if everyone had the heart of Jesus, there'd be no deceit. There'd be no lies. Like, how funny would that be? You wouldn't need contracts. You wouldn't need due diligence. Because I'd just go, this is the way it is. And you would know that I would never misrepresent the way things were, and we'd shake hands, and that'd be it. Imagine a world where we all had the heart of Jesus, there'd be no lewdness, there'd be no exploitation of sexuality to for our own advantage and our own uh, furthering our own interests there'd be no envy. imagine if everyone had the heart of Jesus when someone close to you succeeded, you would just rejoice with them. When that colleague of yours at work who you really can't stand got that promotion or that bonus, you would be like, I am genuinely happy for you. I would never be envious. And doesn't envy just destroy relationships? You can't legislate it away, but Jesus can give us a new heart that drives it out. There'd be no slander, gossip, talking badly about each other. How good would that be? Just imagine a community with no slander. Unthinkable. Unless we have the heart of Jesus, right? Imagine a community with no arrogance. You never be proud. You see, arrogance only happens. Arrogance is just a, a facade to prop up your own awareness that you're a mess and you're just trying to kid everyone all the time. You wouldn't need to if you had the heart of Jesus, and there'd be no folly. No, folly is just the flip side of a lack of wisdom. We'd be so wise; you'd never screw things up. You'd never make stupid decisions. That's what would happen if you had the heart of Jesus. Like, how cool would that be? So, uh, here's the question: Which way are you living? It's really very binary. Uh, and there's a choice, right? Are you, are you still living from the outside in, which is the default position of the human heart? Or are you living from the inside out? Have you asked Jesus to give you a new heart to start to change you from the inside and then to learn to live from him how to live, right? It's, it's really very simple. And, and if you want to learn the inside out living journey, then come and join us because we're all on that journey together. That's what we do here as a church. Come and learn and be part of it. Come and check it out. Uh, and it's going to take us, it's going to take honesty, it's going to take surrender, and it's going to take a community. And we're going to talk about that in our small groups this week. Honesty, surrender, and community. You can't have this without those three things. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you love us. Thanks that you give us the possibility of a new heart, of a way of living that frees us from control and a self-serving hypocrisy, a way that frees us to live truly great lives. And I pray for each of us in this, each of us in this room that uh, wherever we are on our spiritual and relational journeys, that you'll help us to be really brutally honest uh, this morning about ourselves, the state of our lives, and about how you might want us to live. And help each of us to trust you, Lord. And we ask this all in your name. Amen.